from the NLRPD to KTHV to behind the microphone. It's Scott Romine with Guatney Unplugged. Hey, welcome back to Guatney Unplugged. I'm your host, Scott Romine. Excited. Our next guest on the show today, I've known since I was six, 15 or 16 years old. He is Little Rock Radio. Tom Wood. How are you, Tom? Hi, Scott. I'm fine. Man, it's so cool to have you on here. It's nice to be in a radio studio with you because that's how I first got to know you. Well, and yeah, and back then we right. would have had like cart machines or reel to reel or. Right, right. You know, we probably on AM. Who knows? <laughs> Any way that we could get a voice recorded and you came up with such creative stuff, we didn't want to miss a, th- a single second. That was the funnest thing. I talk about meeting you at 15, 16 years old. You kind of recruited me to come up with material for Tommy Smith's show on Magic 105. And the cool thing about it is you would pay me out of the prize closet. <laughs> so I'd come up with all these sketches and we'd record them. And then you'd say, hey, go in there and get whatever you want. And of course, you had tons of CDs. And one time, and I'm going to say this on the air, one time I remember there was a Playboy video in there or whatever. Uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah, that was probably Big Dave's. Man, probably was, <laughs> you know? Yeah, the, it, just the notion of a prize closet is so quaint now, isn't it? Yeah, I don't think that even exists <laughs> I don't think now. that, I know, I know it didn't at our place for a long, long time, yeah. I still to this day have a lot of CDs in my collection that came from there, and they always say, do not sell. <laughs> You know, they were like released only to radio stations. Right. Promotion only. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen a lot of that stamp in my life. Yeah, that's around there. So Mm. what first got you interested in broadcasting? Well, when I was uh, a freshman in college, what I thought I wanted to be was a sports writer. I always thought I wanted to write for the uh, Chicago Tribune and be a sports columnist. And so I went to uh, Northern Illinois University to uh, be in the journalism school. And while I was there, NIU is in a little town called DeKalb up in northern Illinois, and they had a rock radio station there in DeKalb. And me and all my friends in the dorm would listen, of course, at night while we were doing whatever we were doing. And one night I won a trivia contest that they had, and I went down the next day (laughs) to pick up my prize which I think was an album that probably had promotion-only stamps. Well, probably it. did. Probably. <laughs> and when I walked into that radio station, Scott, it just, I, it, it was like a hammer hit me in the head. I thought, this is unbelievable. I don't play music, but I've always loved music. I know a lot about music. Oh, yeah. And then the radio thing just intrigued me, and I immediately transferred to Southern Illinois University, which has a great broadcast school, went to work for the student radio station, went to work for the campus radio station, a year later, got a job in 1973 with a little AM Top 40 station outside of Carbondale. I was working at three radio stations before I knew it and just fell in love with it, man. Everything about it. You are so tied to, to music. Well, I mean, if you had to name four or five albums, what what are your favorites? Well, I'm a big Beatles fan, so uh, maybe at least a couple of those would be Beatles albums. Right? You know, the White Album by the Beatles is and their very first album and maybe their second album. I love that stuff. Uh, I like, uh, are you familiar with the jazz guitar player, Pat Metheny? I'm not. Uh, He's a guy that uh, some friends of mine turned me on to years ago, and one of his albums is called uh, Still Life Talking. And it's just instrumental kind of guitar and uh, keyboard jazz, and I like that a lot. Uh, Listen to that quite often. And then I would say, what would be another album? 
Um, maybe Van Morrison, Moondance, something like that. I always you for a Grateful Dead or a Rolling Stones guy. I definitely dig the Stones, <laughs> Sticky Fingers and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. I, I Hard to beat. Anything that you mention, I'm pretty much going to like. You're pretty yeah. much on board. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously you've. You'd have never necessarily gotten the chance to play your favorite thing, like this Matheny guy. That's not been part of a station you've That's programmed true. for. That is true. One of the one of the shows I did at Southern Illinois University was a jazz show, and that's where I got to meet uh, some of these artists. Not meet them in person, but meet their music right. and play stuff like that. And it was unscripted, unformatted, and so you filled four hours with this stuff. And at the beginning, I didn't know what I was doing, but slowly begin to feel your favorites out. Do you like saxophone more than you like guitar? Do you like trumpet? Do you think, can you follow Miles Davis? And I learned a lot about it back then. That's so cool. But never attempted to play an instrument. No, no, I Just never not had. your deal. I used to think when I was in college, I thought because I'd sing in the car all the time with any oh, yeah. music that was on. And I had some friends who were musicians and they said, man, we ought to get you to sing with our band. And I thought, wow, that'd be cool. I'll give that a try. No way. If I don't have the song on the radio to sing with. Can't do it. I can't do it. I could not do it. Did you love that Queen movie? I did love that Queen movie. Was that not phenomenal? Man, it was awesome. And you never fell out of believing that he really was Freddie Mercury. Exactly. He looked just like him. And it sounded just like him. The whole thing. Well, what a great job. Oh, man. So it was so, so fun to sit through that Whatever it was. If it was three hours, it sure didn't feel like I it. I think I went four or five times. Did you really? Unbelievable. I can't think of a movie I've seen that many times. <laughs> wow. So tell us uh, the origins of Magic 105. Hmm. That was one of the greatest stations that ever existed. All the personalities and everything that came from that. So much fun. So Arkansas. And it lasted for so long. I mean, it was a profitable rating success for 28 years which is really a lot. I mean, KARN has got a long history. Oh, yeah. But for a music radio station, that's a pretty long pretty long lifespan. I remember the different logos. There's the blue rounded one, yeah. the, the yellow and red striped Magic 105 bumper stickers. We debuted that one on our 10th anniversary. Really? Yeah, we used the blue one for 10 years, debuted the new one on the 10th anniversary, and then I think at 20... We had a little alteration of the red and yellow, but it wasn't a big change. Were you there at the very beginning, though? I mean, I thought yeah. you were one of the founders, basically. Where uh, did it start? Well, in 1979, I was working in Illinois, in Peoria, <clears throat> and I was working for a guy. I was the morning man and assistant program director for a top 40 FM station, and we were doing great. <clears throat> Excuse me. And my general manager asked me to go to lunch one day, and he said, look, me and a partner have bought a radio station in Conway, Arkansas, <laughs> and we want to know if you want to come down to Little Rock with us and be the program director of the station and staff it and figure out what we're going to be. And I said, well, I've never been to Little Rock. Fly me and my wife down there, and we'll take a look. So they did, and we loved it, and we came back, and we said, we're in. So that November, we moved down here, left the station in Illinois, moved down here. For the first six or eight months, we built the studio building up there on Civil Defense Hill in Conway, uh, other side of 365 from, uh, from where UCA is, and learned about the city, learned about what was on the air. KLPQ, uh, KQ94 was the rock station then, and we listened to that a lot. We knew we were going to be a rock station. And we met all the contractors who helped us 
hang sheetrock and build duck really? work. And all the engineers had lunch with him every day. I was the greatest single education I could have had for what people wanted to hear on the radio because they'd talk to us every day and I'd hear what they were listening to while they were working. And we were figuring out what they liked, what they didn't like. Are the commercial breaks too long? Do DJs talk too much? What about songs they're not familiar with? Will they tolerate that? Or do they like that idea? So for all those months when we were doing that construction work, we were picking up all this information. And we finally debuted it in August of 1980. I had hired a staff. Tommy was one of the first people I hired. Where'd you find him, Tommy Smith? He was a friend of the very first guy I hired, which was Sandy O'Connor. He was from KKYK back in those days. I'm, yeah, of course. And, Craig O'Neill's station. Yes. And Sandy was a music director and had all kinds of record company contacts. And I knew we were going to need that. And he was already from here. So I thought he'd be a great hire. Plus, he was a great guy and he was very talented on the air. So there was Sandy. Uh, there was a guy that we hired to do our news operation named Scott Charton, who, after he left us, went up to Missouri and was um, part of the Associated Press out of St. Louis up there. Great successful career, great uh, uh, politician career, too. Mm -hmm. Done a lot of consulting with politicians up there. Uh, and then Tommy Smith was a friend to Sandy O'Connor's. And Sandy told me, I know this guy just got out of the Navy. He's working in Colorado Springs or Kansas or someplace, but this is his home. He would really be interested in talking to us about a job. And I said, man, bring him in. And <laughs> Unreal. So he came in and Tommy will tell you the story that, and I don't remember it this way, but he says this is the way it happened. I kind of strung him along for a few months, not making a decision whether I thought he'd be a good hire. And if that's true, well, it was only because I didn't, because I'm not a stringer, a longer kind of right. tell you pretty much what I think. And I knew the guy was talented at the beginning. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we started him off, Scott, at the night shift. He, he was doing seven to midnight and he was really good and he was working the phones and he was having a lot of fun on the air. And we thought, well, golly, let's move him to afternoons because he's that good. Oh, yeah. Moved him to afternoons. I was still doing the morning show and he was so good in the afternoon. We finally thought, why am I doing the morning show? This guy's 10 times Let the jock I am. So I went to middays, moved him to mornings. What year would that have happened? That was pretty quick after the beginning. If it was 1980 when we went on, I'll bet you we realized Tommy's value within <laughs> four years, maybe. Right. 84, 85. And put him on the morning show. Yep. And just said, here, here are the very loose parameters. You know, try to work within these. Try. And do your best to be the most entertaining guy you can be. And man, he just had it. He had it in spades and he always worked well with other people. You remember Michael P? Yeah, of course. Michael P was the, uh, oh, well, he had a nickname. Yeah. He was the pontiff of rock the and pontiff roll. pontiff of rock and roll. That's right. <laughs> I think Ray Tucker was on the show. Yep. Ray Tucker was, was the, the sports, sports czar for a while. Yeah. And, uh, then and big Dave, big came, Dave along. came on. That's right. Yeah. And Tommy had a couple of different news people. Um, uh, one's name was Paula Rice. They really didn't mix that well, but they got along okay. Sure. But then there were a couple of other new, uh, women who wanted to do the news in the morning show. And it was just a really great yin and yang. Yes, it was. Men, women thing. You putting Tommy Smith on the morning show, Magic 105. And, and he was quite the opposite of a Craig O'Neill. He, he liked to push it on the air, yes. especially back in those days. Yes, he sure did. And uh, sometimes it was just uh, clever humor. Sometimes it was outrageous stunts. 
I remember one stunt that he pulled one time where he asked one of the guys, uh, as you'd know this guy, Danny Joe Crawford. Oh, yeah. Worked on the show for a long time as kind of a stunt guy. We come right. up with ideas and send him out. And one of the things he did was he sent him out to that intersection of 40 and 30 where the two freeways merge. And in the middle, there's a big median there, a lot of lawn, a lot sure. of grass. And they sent Danny Joe out there with a mannequin and a shovel to make it look for any passerby like this was a guy burying a dead body <laughs> in the middle of morning rush hour and see if anybody would stop him or the police would come. And they broadcast live from the scene and Danny Joe would go, oh, my God, I think the police are coming. And that, that kind of pushing the limits. He sent me on something very similar to that one time. Really? Where he wanted me to go out here where Shackelford meant, you know, the freeway used to just dead end at a red light. Yep and act like the car was broke down, raise the hood and all that. And the first cell phone I ever saw was yours. <laughs> and Tommy, had it was a bag phone. Yes. And he had sent me out there with it so that he could ask listeners to vote with their horn of whatever ridiculous poll he was doing. Wow. And I'm out there in the middle of the intersection. of the, <laughs> It was just crazy what he would rope you into. Why did we say yes to all the things he asked us to do? I don't know. I, he's, he must have a charming personality. Did he ever get you fined? No. The, uh, <laughs> no, I don't remember any actual real legal fine that took place. We did get some shocking. phone calls. Yes, shocking. I bet you did. We did get some phone calls. But, you know, I think that's part of any kind of edgy morning show. And I think most of the times the calls would come from people who had stumbled into the show. They weren't regular listeners. Right. If you were a regular listener, you pretty much knew what the menu was. But if you were happen to catch a ride to work with some friend some morning, and you used to listen to this radio station, but this guy was a Tommy listener, then all of a sudden you heard something that was like, I can't believe I just heard that. I can't believe he did that. Angry. I'm going to write a letter. I remember when you ended up, Magic World 5 at one point was on Broadway in North Little Rock. I loved that studio. Wasn't that great? You had yeah. glass, and you're looking out in on to, to Main Street. It's at, the exact uh, building where Skinny Jay's is now, the restaurant. Is that where it is? Yeah. Okay. That exact building. That was a neat time. It was um, great. I was a police officer by that time, so I couldn't come in the studio very often, or Tommy would get me in trouble. <laughs> I had to be very careful. Well, during those years, when you're right there on the storefront, and the only thing between you and the 99% of the time good public, 1% of the time crazy public, right. is the police, we were glad to have you on the force. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you were a lot of stuff us. that went on down there. Oh, my gosh. And it was... If you, I remember one time there was a guy who was doing a weekend nighttime shift for us, and we, some guy actually got crazy and broke the front window and wanted to get in the studio. Oh, my God. Oh, it was terrible. It was, it was frightening for him. He called me at about 2 o'clock in the morning. Of course, I ran down there. I've always lived in North Little Rock and uh, was there in 10 minutes and could see the damage that this guy had done. And the police arrested him a few blocks away. Oh, I'd heard of women flashing the... Oh, yeah. Yeah, all of that kind of stuff going on. Pretty crazy. <laughs> hey, uh, so where did the name Brown Bagger, what inspired that? Because I remember that was your stick during the week. Yeah. The Brown Bagger Hour or whatever. It, it was just fantastic. Oh, thanks. I think it was just a connection to the lunch hour. You know, I didn't really come up with the name uh, based on any kind of inspiration. I think it was just the fact that it was a lunchtime uh, request show and we're all going to brown bag lunch together. Right. And, you know, you're going to call in what you want to hear, and I'm going to be the soundtrack for your lunchtime. And, uh, gosh, it was fun to do. And after a while, I realized not only did people love to show off their knowledge of great music and call in requests, mm -hmm. but they love to hear their voices on the radio introducing the songs, 
taped all those phone calls, and they would respond to any kind of theme show you might want to do, like gangbusters. Oh, yeah. I mean, you could come in and say, we're just going to do songs today about places. If you think of a great song that's got to play, and phone switches light up, and you'd have more requests than you could possibly play. You know, I love technology, but I, I my gut feeling is that so many iPods and streaming and all this stuff has just diluted you know, what made what you're talking about possible? There's no question that radio in its purest form is the warmest of all the media. Oh, it's fantastic. It's just so intimate. It's me and you. You and I were talking to a friend of yours out there just a minute ago about how even big syndicated uh, show hosts should always think they're just talking to one person, just like me and you are talking to each other right now. And that's where the warmth of really well-done radio comes from. But when you're just picking out songs that you want to hear from Spotify or Pandora, Pandora or and all this, you'll get the music, but you're not getting that that pal. That's and you're not there getting to, local. Yeah, exactly. it's not local. You're so right. You know that's what was great about the '80s is we had our Craig O'Neill and our Tommy Smith, and you listened to both of them as much as you could, and that's all there was. And that's yeah. what was so great about it. I mean, like my favorite show, Dukes of Hazard, that was a top ten show even when it was canceled. But there was only three stations. You know what I mean? There wasn't 350 stations to compete with. Right. There's only three. You got to watch something. I wonder, know? I wonder what the measure of success for a TV show is now compared to how many uh, people watch Dukes. To be in the top 50. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that crazy? And the number of pure human beings who are enjoying the show is probably a tenth of what it would have been when it was three networks and you had to compete with only those other couple. How about your Tom FM when that was going on? I had never heard a radio station that would play, I don't know, the Stones and then Prince. Right. Waylon Jennings and then, you know, know, Cindy Lauper. You know, I mean, what inspired that? It was fun. Uh, The idea that anybody's CD collection, and back then we would measure people's music taste by their CD collection. If you went into any of these cars in this parking lot, even today, if they had CDs in their car, you'd look through it, and it wouldn't be a formatted collection of discs no. like a radio station is. They're going to have a Waylon Jennings Greatest That's Hits right. sitting right next to the new Metallica. Yeah, you mine's know, cassette. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And that's what we tried to reflect. Just anything that you were pretty familiar with, you know, we wanted to play the hits, but it didn't matter to me if it was a hit by Cindy Lauper or if it was a hit by uh, George Strait, you know, and they can coexist. And you know, the other thing I found is that during that format, you can play any two kinds of music back to back as long as you find that perfect segue point in the first song. Don't come in too early or it's a train wreck. Don't come in too late or there's dead air. But if you hit that perfect point, going from George Strait to Cyndi Lauper is not a problem. Well, I've always heard that formatting like that is what killed MTV from what MTV, what it was. Because how do you sell advertising when... You know, you're showing music videos. Yeah. You boy. really can't tell people, you know, what's on. Yes. Yes. I guess that was probably a problem. That's, I never thought of it, never heard that theory before, but that sure makes a lot of sense to me. It's all shows now. Yes. You know, nobody has I know. videos. No. Is there any place on TV that's playing videos? I don't think so. I think there's Not. a couple of country channels that do. I don't even think VH1 shows videos anymore. Do artists make videos anymore? I I think they do, but I guess they go on YouTube now. Oh, well, of course, that's it. Of Of course. course. What about automation? That has changed the face of radio. Now a local station might have one employee. Yeah, yeah. And automation really isn't the right word for it. It is uh, more 
um, what what could I say? Syndicated or yeah, kind of syndicated. Of course, the term we use in the business is voice tracked. You know, the technology of the studio of a radio station has changed so much that if I wanted to leave early, let's say my shift was two to six p.m. on a radio station, and some afternoon I had to meet my wife someplace at five thirty. Well, I can actually go into that technology and pre-tape a couple of breaks. You know sure. what I'm saying? Sure, you can. And it's if you do it right, with care, with concern, you can make it sound like you're right there. Not that we're trying to dupe the audience, but you can make it sound just that good. And you don't want to overuse that, but with that technology available, yeah, you can unfortunately lose a lot of local live in the studio hosts and end up having somebody else do that shift. Why people say it's half past the hour? They won't <laughs> say the hour. <laughs> And you'll never hear them refer to what the weather's like outside because no. they don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Hey, uh, Tom Wood, thanks so much for being here. And thanks so much for giving me a break at 15, 16 years old, because I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now, I promise, without people like you that put me in the position. Well, that's I, I can't tell you so how nice cool. that is to hear. It's, it's very, very true. Uh, Tom Wood, come back, please. we got plenty more to talk about on a future show. Love we to. we got to have you back. Love it. Be right back here on Guatney Unplugged.